All right, welcome to episode four of the Coin Press podcast. I'm Luke Willis. Today I'm joined by Steve Gerbino, who is a blockchain architect and one of the co-founders of the Coinos Group. So welcome, Steve. Hey, Luke. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So today we're talking about the big topic of consensus. Uh, by the time people are listening to this, the, uh, the white paper for the consensus algorithm will have already come out. Right now, we're discussing a draft version, so uh, it's possible that some of the things we hit on will change in the final version. Um, but, but yeah, this is a this is a good starting point for the discussion, at least. So, really appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts and uh, how you came up with this algorithm. Which is, drumroll, do you want to announce the consensus algorithm? Ah, uh, you go ahead. <laughs> okay, it is proof of burn. Or Coinos Proof of Burn, KPOB is the uh, the acronym I've seen in the white paper, um, and this is a, an interesting algorithm that I actually hadn't heard of before. But the the idea stretches back to uh, even before Vitalik uh, came up with Ethereum. So this is back in the day. So Proof of Burn uh, in the white paper, you say that it has greater decentralization than Proof of Work and greater efficiency than proof of stake. Uh, can you go into more detail about why it is that it's better on both of those fronts? Yeah, sure. Those are bold statements, aren't they, huh? <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, there are um, attributes uh, of both of those consensus algorithms that are uh, favorable, I would say. Um, you know, And kind of we wanted benefits from both and none of the downside. And I would I would like to say that I didn't necessarily, I mean, come up with proof of burn. This was originally, you know, from a Bitcoin talk post from uh, a mathematician, Ian Matlin or Maitland. Uh, right. It kind of just sparked me down thinking about this path and how it could be used um, for Coinos. Sure. Um, but yeah, as far as, so I guess let's talk about decentralization. Um, there are a lot of things that are pretty favorable about proof of work. Um, you know, the fact that anyone can just hop on, it, it is fairly decentralized, you know, it has all these great properties, but there are a number of downsides that really prohibit people from participating. I mean, anyone who has, um, participated in a proof-of-work chain uh, understands the costs involved and the, cal the calculation, the ROI. And there's a lot of things that um, play into that. One of them uh, is your, well, one of the main costs that you have is uh, your electricity. Uh, here's one, you know, aspect which determines whether or not you can be profitable. And what ends up happening is that uh, mining gets uh, kind of centralized around certain geographic areas who have favorable conditions, for example, low energy costs. Like if you have hydroelectric, I think you probably have hydroelectric near you, right? Or geothermal, yeah. right? And it becomes insanely profitable for these uh, locations to use proof of work because of their low electricity costs. And someone who lives 
in an area that doesn't have these conditions, they may very well want to participate in securing the chain because they're passionate about the project or they just want to make money, but it's just not possible for them. And so what they end up having to do is not run a miner or pay for cloud computing, which is essentially centralization of mining again, uh, right. just because where they uh, contract with someone, they have cheaper electricity costs. This is not helping uh, to decentralize the network. It's actually having the opposite effect uh, where mining is being centralized in these places. What happens if, you know, countries get cut off or, you know, whatever China bans cryptocurrency for the umpteenth time, right. you know, all these things can happen. And then all your mining uh, rigs are operating there. So that's not exactly favorable. And, Proof of burn, I believe, can uh, mitigate that risk. Uh, obviously, you still have to pay for electricity, but it's not, uh, you know, it, it's not an insane electricity cost because you're not crunching hashes looking for a nonce, right? You're just kind of idling until it's your turn. Yeah. And so you're not as um, affected by these variable electricity costs. Another part of it is uh, you have these the specialized hardware, uh, ASIC miners, right? And if you don't have access to that for any reason, maybe you can't afford to buy it or maybe they're sold out or maybe they're no longer available to you because of the country you live in, that's also a problem because you can't just join the network with what you have because you're going to get steamrolled. You're never going to get a block. You're just going to burn your uh, electricity for no good reason, right? You right. need to compete at the high levels to even be in the game. That's also a reason why it's difficult, you know, it, it really prohibits decentralization because of that. Sure. Yeah. So that's kind of. The comparison between, I mean, really what we want to do is emulate proof of work because, you know, there are a lot of great things about it. And what this does is it kind of emulates proof of work, but on a more fair playing field, right? The power of your mining rig, I'm air quoting, I apologize for not being on video, the mining rig power is... Uh, on the chain, right? Everything is on chain. So it's not really the power of your hardware. It's the power of your NFT. Right, right. So you put in the same capital capital as somebody else and you're going to have equivalent mining power. Right. So, so that kind of levels the playing field. Uh, yeah. So, so, so that I, I do want to get into the implementation here, but before we jump to that, um, can you... Can you also go into why it's greater efficiency than proof of stake? Because oh yeah, that's where I was going with it. Yeah, so <laughs> great proof of stake. You know that that was like, you know, the answer to not burning electricity all day, right? We needed a way to, you know, have blocks be produced fairly, and we didn't want to burn electricity. So proof of stake was proposed. That's all well and good, right? Um, <clears throat> 
so there's a number of things. Uh, I mean, the the main thing. Well, it didn't quite make a lot of sense uh, to me when thinking about it. I mean, it's basically you know, blockchain is supposed to be trustless, right? We don't want to have to trust humans. Uh, you know, that's the whole point, isn't it? Right. So proof of stake is interesting because you stake some coin and then you code in, you code in distrust later, right? It's, mm-hmm. you, you say, oh, you, you put up these coins to stake and this gives you the privilege of creating blocks. But now I have to write some algorithm to go around checking that you've been a good boy. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, can we not do that? Well, yeah, we can. We slash you up front, right? You burn it. And when you are a good boy, you get rewarded. Now we don't have to go around spear fishing, trying to find bad actors. Right. So I think that is an efficiency improvement, right? There's a whole set of algorithms that Coinos won't have to implement. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense to me. It does make a lot of sense to me too. So so basically what's happening here is um, instead of, you know, just proving that I have money and I I want privileges because I have it, I I actually have to spend my money, right? I have to buy this minor NFT, which is essentially a voucher or a bond that says you'll get some yield for your money. So very similar to concepts that we have in the real world. Um, and so you're you're investing your capital up front instead of just saying, look how much money I have. Um, and then you're taking on that risk yourself instead of imposing the risk on the system. So yeah. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I would also point out that it's really analogous to proof of work, right? You go, you buy a miner, right? And then you calculate your ROI, like how how many months do I need to run this to get my money back, my investment back? And then after that profit, considering electricity costs and all this other stuff, so... I feel like it's easy to get your mind around if you just really think about it like it, it, it is essentially like proof of work, but it's on chain with NFTs. So I feel like, you know, right. you're accomplishing what proof of stake went uh, set out to accomplish, which is a more efficient mining algorithm that doesn't uh, require electricity burn and potentially consistent block production. Uh, but you're doing it in essentially a virtual proof of work algorithm, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's interesting that seeing the connections that are drawn from proof of work and proof of stake in the white paper is very interesting. So I highly recommend anybody who's listening to this who hasn't already go read the white paper. It's a it's a, a very interesting read um, with a lot more history than we're going to get into here. So it's good stuff. Um, so there is a a bit about the minor NFTs where you talk about two possible implementations, one where you have variable size minor NFTs, where if I burn, you know, one coin, then that's a a small NFT versus uh, a thousand 
Bitcoin, then it's a large entity or whatever scale you want to use here. Um, so if I have a variable size NFT, that's one approach. The other approach you had was a fixed size NFT where you didn't give a price, but say every, every one of these NFTs is costs 10 coin or something like that. So I would just buy more of those um, if I were going to burn more, more coin. Um, has the team, I mean, obviously the fact that both implementations are in the, uh, the white paper means you haven't selected one uh, of these implementations, but do you have a, a preference right now or is the team leaning one way or the other based on discussions? Um, I don't know if the team is leaning one way or another. Maybe, maybe it's toward the fixed one. Sure. Um, I mean, we're intentionally vague there. Because uh, we want to leave the door open for the most efficient implementation we could come up with. Sure. And you know we're gonna we're going to write it. Uh, you know, write the smart contracts that implement this at a later date, and don't want to uh, you know say one thing and do the other, or just you know close the door because we've announced something. Uh, but, the high level principles apply. The implementation can vary. Uh, and so that, that's why the white paper is intentionally vague. Um, but I guess, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory, I guess, how it would work. It essentially, it comes down to the more money you put in, the more power your virtual miner should have. Whether you have more miners or a bigger miner, you know, it really doesn't change the algorithm too much. And... Yeah, so we, we just want to leave the door open for an efficient implementation uh, sure. when we get to it. That's why it's a, it's a little vague. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I'm, my, my thoughts on it at the moment are, you know, if you have a variable size, then that reduces some barrier to entry where there's no, like, minimum, right? Um, theoretically, you might still impose a minimum. Whereas if it's a fixed size, then, you know, if that fixed size is one coin, then, uh, you know, someday if a coin is $1,000, then you're, you're excluding some of the smaller players who maybe can't afford a whole coin who want to, to join the, the minor ecosystem. So Yeah, very true. What if it's one Satoshi? If it's one Satoshi, then that could work. But that, that makes it, um, you know, is it always... You know, you put in one Satoshi and get out two um, or, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's the problem there. But right. yeah, I mean, it will be a return. You know, we've talked about in the paper how um, the we're going to guarantee a return, right. um, but not guarantee the time. Like one of those things have to give, right? right. Either time or the return. And so, yeah, we have to, you know, work it out and come up with something reasonable that has not been done yet. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. And if it's, um, you know, if it's a smaller payout, then it'll be a shorter time generally. And if it's a larger payout, like doubling your money, then yeah, it's, it's going to take longer as a, as a minimum amount of time, typically I'd imagine. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think it'd ever be double your payout. 
Right. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, we want to have that, uh, that kind of metric set by governance, right? We don't right. want to uh, you sure. know, code anything like that. Yeah, that makes sense. And just um, if it wasn't clear at this point, governance is not included in the white paper. Uh, there's going to be a future, probably another white paper for governance specifically. Um, so that's not part of the announcement. Um, there were some some minor hints in that section about governance where um, you talked about how uh, something similar to what Bitcoin does or um, other governance systems seems, at least the way I read it, is that they seem excessive given the, the microservice architecture of, uh, of Coinos, where really all you're voting on is just granting system level privileges to a single smart contract. Um, so it's it's kind of a smaller impact, is the way I read it. Um, curious if you have any more thoughts on that. Well, um, you know, I don't know if I would say smaller impact because sure. the system calls uh, are responsible for almost the entire behavior of the chain. So you could have a, <laughs> a rather large impact by changing critical system calls, for instance, even uh, when we move from federated blocks to proof of work, like that's a whole different consensus algorithm that sure. occurs through upgrading uh, a system call. Right. And that's, I would consider that a pretty large impact. So is it, yeah. yeah, so the responsibility of governance, like it doesn't have to be complicated. It, it has to approve a system call or not, which is, you know, pretty you know, it's a pretty narrow uh, problem for governance to address, but it is not an you know an easy problem, and and the re the result may not be trivial. Sure, you know, it could be a, a large impact. But as far as like the complexity of the governance, it really comes down to yay or nay right. on the system call, and that that is that process could be trivial, but the impact could be you know, larger than that. Yeah. Very good. Um, cool. All right. So uh, we talked a little bit about implementation now. Um, so getting back to the, uh, the 51% attack, we, you mentioned with steam um, that, you know, the histories published where uh, with steam, the exchanges were brought in on the 51% attack. Um, so the, the, the talk here is that with proof of burn, you're, you're mitigating in, in some ways, the, the possibility of an exchange attack. Um, can you go into more detail about why that is? And if you yeah, have look, more context from steam, that might be helpful. Yeah, that's an interesting problem, you know, and, you know, when it comes to, you giving custody of your crypto to an exchange. Yeah. You know, there's no perfect answer for that. They're no longer, it's no longer your crypto. I mean, we all, you know, love the, uh, the mantra, not your keys, not your crypto and, you know, put it in a hardware wallet. And that's, that's still true. And there's no uh, great way uh, to prevent, you know, someone else's coin because it's not your coin anymore from acting on the chain, right? But what this does 
uh, from my point of view, is change the calculus. Uh, when an exchange decides, I'm going to listen to somebody and do this action uh, with my customers' coins, right? That's what we can do. Uh, with, with staking coins and just voting, you know, there's a, there's a guarantee, at least in Steam's circumstance, they had a guarantee that they would not lose coin and that they know when they're going to get it back. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's not necessarily the case with Proof of Burn. Uh, if you have, well, I guess our implementation of Proof of Burn. So, you know, the, the system always will incentivize people to produce blocks uh, when it's in the best interest of the system from a security standpoint. But there's nothing stopping people from uh, burning after that and mining after that. And when there's too many miners, what you do, essentially, is you push out everyone's ROI. It takes more time because the market is flooded for you to get a return on your money. Now, if I'm an exchange and I, I understand that people, if I'm an honest exchange, I, I will say, people want to withdraw their money when they want to withdraw their money, right? right. And now, now, now you're putting them in a position where I'm opening myself up to not being able to give them money. I don't know when I'll be able to give you your money. That's, I think, right. a little more dangerous of a position for someone who runs an exchange rather than, well, we thought X and Y happened and in 14 weeks we'll have everything back. We're sorry for the inconvenience. You know, that's a right. little better than I'm not sure when you're going to get your money back. So I think it changes the calculus from an exchange's point of view, whether sure. or not they should burn their customers' money that they owe them. Right. You know, and there's also this concept of, I don't even know if we say this in a white paper, maybe spoiler alert, I don't know, but you could, they're NFTs, and you could trade these things on a secondary market. Sure. And so you might not, you know, you're, you're probably not going to um, be able to sell it for what you paid for it, especially if you've used some of it, right? The secondary market you would imagine uh, would be cheaper than buying it from the system because the miner itself has been either used or not. Why not just buy it from the system, you know? So right. even in that case, you don't recuperate all your customers' funds. And so there's no good way out, so I wouldn't do it if I was an exchange. So yeah. it's, not, it's not a perfect, you know, as long as they have your keys, they can do what they want with your crypto. There's nothing we can do about it. But what we can do is change the equation in their mind when they consider making a drastic action like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, lots to respond to there. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I, I go back to kind of traditional finance where banks have can't remember what it's called, but it's basically reserve banking where they'll keep a percentage of their uh, deposits liquid um, and then they'll they'll go and employ uh, a percentage of it elsewhere. So 
Oh, like, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's the case anymore as of 2020, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm enough. familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there, there's some, like, math around this that I wish I had in front of me. Uh, I didn't prepare for this because I hadn't thought of it until just this moment. Um, but yeah, the so basically, theoretically, if the if the bank or the central exchange uh, got a, a large enough stake of coin, um, they could burn enough of it and still have enough liquidity. Um, but I do feel like the, the community around this would see what was happening and there'd be a run on the bank before things could really get, uh, you know, too out of hand in that direction. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'd like uh, to add to this though. Oh, yeah, you, I, I, I would add that when the exchanges uh, pulled off this maneuver, uh, the community acted in an interesting way. Okay. They were willing to fork the chain and go through this process in order to punish the exchange, essentially, right? Mm. Punish the bad actors. Right. And that took that took technical skill. Sure, people who knew the chain had kind of had to work the code, fork it, and some coordination. But we've kind of built that in, so you don't need it mm-hmm. by by burning and competing with the attacker. You punish him, right? Because the calculation at the time of their burn was like, Oh, I'm going to get my money back in six months. And then everyone else burns because they feel like, you know, the, the chain is under attack. They want to uh, defend it and they can push that return out a year or more. And, and essentially it's like they have the ability to punish bad actors built in without having to go through the process that happened in steam. Yeah. It's yeah. drastic actions, right? It's a drastic action from both parties. It definitely is, yeah. So, and and that's where if, if an exchange ever did accumulate fifty one percent of the the total pool of coin and decided to burn a hundred percent of it, um, it would not be difficult for the community to punish them by you know going and burning a large portion of the remaining coin or just saying we're going to live on a new fork and abandon that. Um, so yeah, that's, it's an interesting take where there's no, there's no true way to fully prevent a 51% attack. Um, you just need to have a plan of what the, what the minority is going to do in the event that that were to happen. I don't know that there's a way to to truly solve the 51% attack. So it's interesting. Yeah, no, there there is no way. I mean, you have 50% of 51%, you have the majority stake, right? And, and right. that's that, right? <laughs> yep. Tyranny of the majority. Yeah. Uh, so you just go start your own country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. All right. So, uh, getting a little further down in the white paper, we have a section on centralization resistance. Uh, and this is a, you, you go pretty deep on this, so I'm, I'm not going to leave too much comment. I'm going to just open up with the, the headings here and, and have you fill in some details for me if you can. Um, so the first one is deflation, where you talk about uh, 
the fact that coin is being burnt, the pace of that versus the actual inflation rate of the coin could be a temporary deflation mechanism. Um, am I doing justice to that? Does that sound close to right? Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. Okay, perfect. So uh, my, my question there is, why does that fall under centralization resistance? Well, probably because of the situation I just touched upon, right? Okay. Because, because the system uh, will incentivize you uh, or incentivize users to be block producers uh, up to the percentage of capital that is required for the security of the chain. Anything thereafter is uh, excessive as far as security. Sure. But that is the punishment, right? That is the punishment that people could choose to enact on a bad actor, right? right. Because so let's just say governance um, sets an inflation rate of 3%. Yeah. That. 3% target is met by considering the amount of coin uh, required for block production to secure the network, right? And, and at that happy medium, that, that magic equilibrium, it will be 3%. Sure. But if it's under that threshold, then there will be more inflation. And if it's above that threshold, then you'll have deflation. Yeah. Right. And so I think that it's basically a free market, right? It's a, it's yeah. a market and it's governed by the market. And so when not enough people are securing the chain, we have a problem, right? We have a right. problem and we need to incentivize block producers to spin up nodes, get online and secure the chain. How do you do that? Well, inflation, right? You say, we're going to pay you more to do it, right? And yep. how do you deter people uh, from tying up all the coin and mana and everything? Everyone wants to jump on the block producer bandwagon. How do you uh, disincentivize them from doing that? Well, right. your deflation, right? Because the yearly increase in coin being produced uh you know, like I said before, while you're pushing everyone's time out on their return, you're not going to make back the coin in time in that APY, like of the year. Right. Right. So it, it is, I think that section is tied to the exchange attack that we just were talking about. Sure. Where you punish them by taking away their returns. Sure. By setting the system in a deflationary state. Okay. Gotcha. Very interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, so you reminded me of one thing. I know we talked about this before the show. I, I'm not sure that I actually talked about this uh, after we hit record here. So I'll, uh, I'll ask the question again. So with the, the virtual minor NFTs, how does this incentivize the physical growth of the network, right? Because we still want people to run actual nodes we need hardware on on the network right mm -hmm. yeah i mean i i think that that part is tied to the first thing we were talking about what which was um the differences between this and 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 proof of work yeah uh because because it is cheap 
to spin up a node, you know, that's promoting decentralization because Bitcoin is hard to mine profitably and to acquire the hardware. Yeah. You know, that that is hurting decentralization. I just cannot mine profitably in my house right now. Right. right. I mean, maybe I can right now, but I'm just saying for in certain circumstances, depending on the market, depending on the Bitcoin price or any crypto price, you may not be able to mine profitably in your house. That uh, is pretty much never the case with coin, depending on the coin price, right? Uh, I guess everything depends on the crypto price, obviously. But uh, if, if coin maintains a reasonable value, it'll always be profitable for you to just run an idling computer and when it's your turn, just make a block. It's cheap, uh, electricity-wise. That is promoting decentralization. There's nothing stopping a little player. We want many little players to participate, right? We don't want few big players to participate, which is kind of what's happening in Bitcoin uh, right now. And I think it could be improved. You know, the original vision was that on commodity hardware, people can just do some mining and secure the network. That was the original goal, wasn't it? Right. But it didn't quite pan out that way. Uh, you know, when it, the more insanely profitable it becomes, the more uh, like corporate level players get in. And that's what squeezes out the little guy. They have an advantage. Like the little guy cannot make ASICs in his house. Right. Right. And, but, but what if you don't have to, right? That's, what this does, right? It puts the mining virtually on the chain. I guess there was a section saying it's egalitarian. That's kind of why, because yeah. all of all of those variables are taken out of the equation. Everyone's kind of on the same playing field. So little guys can get in, put in a thousand coin and mine the same as anyone else's thousand coin anywhere in the world. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so yeah, so mechanically then, if I have one coin and I want to burn it and get a minor NFT, uh, I would need to run some amount of hardware, you know, however, whatever the minimum amount of, uh, you know, maybe it's a Raspberry Pi. I don't know what would be required for it to run the, uh, the Coinos node at this point. Um, but I just need to run something, right, and connect it to the network and have it do uh, a fairly simple task of running the block producer. But it doesn't have to be advanced hardware. So, interesting. Right. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have to be some kind of beast machine, right. you know. I, I doubt you'd run a whole cluster, like, you know, how we've, we've designed it uh, in, with microservices. Right. And so... Some things can be on a Raspberry Pi. Raspberry Pi, I don't even know how many cords do they have these days for now. Good question. But, yeah, I would, you know, there's different requirements for different microservices, and you can put them where it's cheapest for you or most efficient. You know, if you're, you know, running a block store, you probably want higher disk storage. You know, and if you're running a, the mempool, that's probably a pretty cheap microservice to run that might be able to run on a Pi. Okay, you know, yeah. I, I I 
wouldn't think that you would run an entire ra- uh, cluster on a Raspberry Pi. But you Fair. could run an entire cluster on a commodity machine. I mean, we do it right now in the test net. The people are just using their machines, you know. And, yeah. and because the power of their machine doesn't dictate how much reward they get, that's okay. On the test net, it does right now because we're just using proof of work uh, prior to this implementation. But with proof of burn implementation, it won't matter how powerful your commodity hardware is. Yeah. Yeah, and just to just to be clear, um, we've talked about this on Discord Telegram. I'm not sure if this comes through with the white paper or the announcement, but the the white paper is uh, the team's plan right now. The Bonus Group hasn't. Uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you haven't started development on proof of burn for for the Coinos network. Yeah, that is correct. Uh, okay, what great. we what we want to do is. Because we built this as a framework, right? And these are all kind of customizations on top of the framework. And so what we really want to do is get the framework super solid so we can have the longest amount of test net time soaking and, and, you know, to validate the implementation, make sure that all the bugs are worked out so we want the framework itself which is the native code the native implementation uh for the longest amount of time we can have it in testnet so it's important that we do that first the smart contracts that implement all these features like what's currently proof of work the mana system and proof of burn they're just smart contracts uploaded and so they're relatively cheap and easy to do that's the whole like uh, you know, in-band upgradability, we can iterate on that fast without relaunching a testnet. We could just change them because there's no governance right now. So we can iterate quickly. So we want to solidify the framework and then we can iterate very fast on these smart contracts that uh, implement the features we want on mainnet. Right. Yeah, because you don't need to go through governance until mainnet launches. So it is yeah. important. <laughs> it's important that you get. I mean, obviously things are, are going to have to change. You're you're not assuming that you're going to get everything right out of the gate, but if you can have things in a good state, you'll have less that you need to change once mainnet launches, which will help you move faster. Yeah, we we really want to get the framework right. Because the smart contracts can be changed easily. The framework, anything that's a problem in the framework requires a hard fork. So we need to get the framework solid. And then, and then we're in a, you know, a good situation in mainnet where we can move quickly and make changes as needed. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so there's one last section of the white paper that I want to address, uh, which is talking about uh, initial distributions or setting up new tokens. Um, so this is more generally, if I wanted to go create my own proof of burn token, um, I couldn't do, <laughs> right? There's nothing to burn yet. Nobody has the token. Uh, so there needs to be some kind of on-ramp where uh, the the people who want the new token 
provably burn some other resource. So uh, your recommendation in the white paper is to use uh, proof of work because that's a clear, you know, you're burning your your money, whatever currency you're in, to purchase hardware and electricity to run uh, a proof of work algorithm and and collect rewards in the form of the new token. Then you shift over to to proof of earn, which is what the the coin uh, the, the Coinos network did with the ERC twenty token being being proof of work. Um, so that makes sense to me. I am curious. Uh, we talked a little bit about this beforehand. The, the concept of what you need to burn could be something else, right? So you don't necessarily have to burn dollars to get hardware. You could theoretically do uh, proof of burn from another currency. Like if, if you wanted to burn Ethereum to collect uh, the new token, you, you could do that. And it would, be, it would still be efficient compared to proof of work. Um, I don't know. I'm just riffing. Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, cases to think through with that. I mean, proof of this is one of the things that is so awesome about proof of work. It really solves the cold start problem. You have nothing. Right. You know, and how do I get from nothing to something? And proof of work does that because it's, you know, it's on it's in the outside world. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. You're actually securing the network with outside world hardware. And so it seems to me like that's the most fair. I mean, we tried to launch as fairly as we could without any kind of like, you know, without stigma or something, you know, or any kind of perception of unfairness or corruption. We, you know, we want to avoid that at all costs. Proof of work really was the answer to that like sure. if you burn ethereum where does that ethereum go in my pocket <laughs> right or, you know what i'm saying what do you do with that like right you send it to the black yeah. hole for you know it's it made a lot of sense to use proof of work to solve this cold star problem because it it feels fair it feels yeah. the most fair and there's no like other asset that is either going nowhere for no reason or going into someone's pocket or anything like that. I mean, you could, you know, I could see similar to like ICOs, you could say, Oh, you give me the Ethereum and I give you the new ERC 20. Right. But that's like an ICO is essentially. Yeah. It makes sense. So, but proof of work, it's like, we don't, you didn't give us anything. We just facilitated a way for new coin to be minted. We're right. doing it. Feel free to do it. We all can do it. We're all on the same playing fields and keep it fair. So that's why we made that decision. I think, you know, I think it was a solid decision when it comes to being fair. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not sure what you, how you would, you know, there are many ways to solve the problem, but like it, there's considerations. Let's sure. put it that way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And if you look at the um, the distribution of coin uh, among account holders, it looks quite fair compared with, I mean, you look at any any protocol that's done an ICO, uh, having one account hold 30% or something like that, you just don't have that on, on CoinOS. So. Yeah, that's really, 
That's really actually I'm I'm quite pleased with how it's played out. Uh, looking at the distribution, you know, when it comes to like ICOing and a lot of other chains, and they're sitting on that like thirty percent that they basically granted themselves and then yep. sold the others. You know, it really brings up questions about governance and. Right. You know, a lot of them, a lot of these chains say things like, but we won't X, Y, Z. Right. Well, we don't want to trust humans, right? That's why we all love Bitcoin. So now you've brought me back to a place where I have to trust you not to dump on the market or use your 30% to push governance in your way. Like, I don't know, it kind of messes up the whole ethos of uh, cryptocurrency, you know, that pure... Bit, right. you know bitcoin form we want to be like bitcoin when it comes to that purity of fairness and you know we don't want to be like the company who sits on 30 percent, but trust us that we won't do things bad with it right I, we want to eliminate anywhere where you say trust us <laughs> yeah you know what i mean yeah i feel like with coinos the only trust us is trust us to build something good for the initial launch, right? And then once you get past mainnet launch, there's no real trust required. It's a, it, it's a really nice design uh, going forward. So it, the only speculative aspect in my mind is just, do you believe that the team can and will deliver what they say they will? So, Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no way to get around that, I guess. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like, we're building this. Uh, this is how we're going to create the initial supply. We're going to participate. If you would like to, Yeah. feel free. If not, you know, good luck. You know, you know we didn't, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, you're right about that. And I feel like there's no there's no good way around that. You know? Yeah, it's it's another one of those things. There's no... There's no good answer. So at, at the end of the day, you need some trust. Uh, but, but this is still early, right? And so once, once mainnet launches, it becomes a lot less speculative and a lot less of a trusting use of anyone's money. So, Yeah, it's like setting your baby free, you know? Exactly, yeah. It's like now it's in the wild. It will <laughs> do what it will do. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, yeah, well, this was really great, Steve. I appreciate you coming on. I'm super excited for the, uh, the consensus algorithm, Coinos Proof of Burn. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll cut it off here. So thank you, Steve. Uh, and we hope you join us next time for the CoinPress podcast. We'll see you around. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. It was great talking to you.